Oh boy. Taking every thought captive, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, meaning to take a hold of those uh, thoughts that want to take us down a different path than God has for us is a battle. It's a battle for every one of us. Uh, what we just saw is a great illustration of what uh, we all share in common. We may not be single dealing with the same issues, but we all have the battle of the mind going on. We all struggle with temptation. We all struggle to discern the truth and to make our way through the maze of emotions and feelings that are just a part of being human. And we all have these outside influences to wrestle with as well. We live in a culture that tends to look at sex outside of marriage as a recreational activity. There's no big deal. It's something just everybody does. So what's the big deal? And tragically, and I say this uh, tenderly and without any condemnation in my voice, but tragically, millions of people give themselves away to multiple partners outside of marriage without understanding that as they do so, they're tearing at the very fabric of their soul every time they do. We're calling this series Questions You Can't Ask Your Mama. But if you did ask Mama, this is what she'd say. It's in your bulletin. It's in the outline there. There's a cost to premarital and recreational sex. There is a cost. Besides the physical risk, it costs us spiritually and emotionally when we give ourselves away to someone other than our lifelong marriage partner. When people say it's just physical, they're just kidding themselves. Sex is more than just a biological function. It is a physical act. Obviously, that's a, a, you know, a part of it. But it, it's one that involves an emotional and a spiritual bond as well. Five times in the Scripture it says this, And they shall become one flesh. And that means a lot more than just two bodies becoming one. It refers to a physical expression of a spiritual and an emotional reality. When we engage in this activity, we are not just connecting a physical in a physical way, but we're connecting our souls, connecting in a spiritual and a spirit, in an emotional way. 1 Corinthians 6.16 in the message. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts this. And let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 6.16. He says, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. It is written in Scripture that two become one. You see, sex bonds two people together in a way that is supposed to be exclusive to marriage. And that's why God intended it for marriage, because of what takes place. We're not made to give ourselves away. You and I were not made to just kind of randomly or casually give ourselves away to just anyone. God limits sex to marriage. And He does so, by the way, not as a killjoy, but to protect us and to care for us. Sex is a gift from God. And I've said that before. It was God's idea. And uh, he's all for it in the right context. It is a gift from him. And it's meant to develop and to promote unity between one man and one woman in marriage. And so every time, I want to tell you, every time we give a part of, you know, our, ourselves away to sex outside of marriage, we are giving a part of ourselves away that is intended for our marriage partner. Studies have found that sexual activity outside of marriage is linked to future instability in the relationship people have with their eventual marriage partner. And I think it's kind of a duh if you're sexually active and giving yourself away to multiple partners and then you get married and you think that's not going to affect your heart and your mind, then it, you're crazy. You're, you're ludic it's, it's ludicrous to think you can just do that and it won't have any long-term effect. Other studies have shown that uh, sexual activity that begins early for, for teenagers is, is negative as well. And there's a tragic impact. Uh, Josh McDowell in his book Why True Love Waits said this, a young person who begins sex at age 16 or earlier, has a greater than 80% chance of having more than one lifetime partner. However, young people who wait for sex 
have a better chance of enjoying a lasting, fulfilling marriage than those who do not. A study done in 1992 by John Haskey found that even the divorce rate is lower among those who have waited to have sex until their wedding day. Now, here's just a basic, simple truth. I'm going to be very honest. We're being pretty, you know, transparent in this series. And let me just tell you, sex is great. It feels good. It is, you know, a wonderful experience. But when God's intent is missed and His pattern broken in disobedience to His will, people get hurt. And the cost is big. The cost of premarital and recreational sex is huge. And so I want us to consider today two fibs and a truth like we did last week as we looked at uh, the issue of pornography. And I would encourage you, if you missed last week, to pick up the CD in the Resource, resource Center. But let's take a look at a couple of lies and, and one big truth. Number one in your outline, the first fib. Premarital sex is not mentioned in God's Word. And the church is just being puritanical and repressive. I run into this attitude more often than you could imagine, where people say, well, and I've talked to Christians. I think, that's, you know, what's the issue here? You know, it's not, the Bible doesn't say I can't, and the church is just being puritanical and repressive. And honestly, there was a time in church history when sex, even in the context of marriage, was considered a necessary evil. If you know history, and you've read much about it, you know that that's true. In fact, in the Victorian era, they would cover the legs of pianos because they thought it was indecent. <laughs> for, you know, pianos to have their legs exposed in church. I, you know, historically, it would be accurate to say that the church has had a fairly repressive, repressive attitude about sex. That would be true. Uh, both my grandmas are with Jesus now, and, and they were both very godly women, very conservative women, and I love them dearly. But uh, you couldn't talk about some things in their presence. You certainly wouldn't use the S word. You wouldn't talk about sex without getting an earful. In fact, I remember, I think I was about fourth or fifth grade, and I don't even know why and what context I brought it up. All I can say is it was the 60s and, you know, it was a different time. But I remember saying something about sex in front of my grandma, my grandma Bubna. And she was so upset with me that she threatened to wash my mouth out with soap. It happened before. Uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And that she got my attention when she threatened to do that to me. There, it was a different generation with a different attitude. And though the church has had, uh, we'll admit to you, um, a repressive attitude in times past and has taken it too far, the church historically has also accurately taught for a long time that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And the basis for that teaching is God's Word. 1 Corinthians 6, I want to read to you a passage, part of which I read last week. But 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Flee from it. All other sins a man or woman commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That just means that when we become a Christ follower, when we give our lives to Jesus, he comes and dwells within us. And so Paul's saying, hey, don't you remember that your body now is the temple? You're where the Holy Spirit of God lives, who's in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. It's not just about you and what you want to do anymore. Verse 20, you were bought at a price. The cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus purchased you, saved you. Therefore, Paul says, honor God with your body. The word sexual immorality here, those words here in verse 18, include all sex outside of marriage. It's the same word Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at it with me. It's on the screen behind me, I think. But verse 4, uh, verse 3, excuse me, of 1 Thessalonians 4 says, it is God's will. Ever wonder what God's will is? Anybody ever kind of said, what's God's will for me? Well, I, I love it when the Bible clearly defines this. Here it says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Let me just pause there and explain that word. 
Sanctified is a term that basically means that we would be set apart for something pure and holy. It means that now because we are God's and because God lives within us, that we are to be sanctified, set apart, made for a special purpose. It's God's will that you be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Same phrase used in 1 Corinthians 6. And that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not unpassionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now the word for immorality here in the original language in the New Testament is the word parneia. And uh, it's a word that, that sometimes is translated fornication. If you have the old King James, you'll see the word fornication there. But it literally means sexual immorality or illicit sexual intercourse. That's the, the definition for this word right here. It means illicit sexual intercourse, including sex outside of marriage and adultery. And the Bible's clear about this. I just want to make sure you get this today. You can argue all you want, but here's what the Bible says. That's wrong. It's outside of what God wants for us. And I want to suggest to you today that the only reliable source for life on this planet is the Word of God. The only way to experience and live in the joy and the peace and in the, the, the intent and purpose that He has for us is to live by God's way. And without question, let me just make this clear today, without question, God prohibits sex outside of marriage. And again, I just want to make this clear as well. He doesn't do so to make us miserable. He doesn't do it just to kind of, you know, Take away something that that, uh, is fun. He does it to protect us and to protect our hearts. You can attempt to rationalize and justify your actions with all the gusto and passion that you want. But let's be clear. God limits sex to marriage for our protection and well-being. I used to coach uh, high school cross-country and track for about five years at a high school in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I had a girl on the team. She was 16 years old and a sophomore. And we'll call her Terry. It's not a real name. But uh, one day I walked out out of the equipment room. I had to put some things away. And I looked across in the grandstands. And I saw Terry sitting in the grandstands. And she was obviously upset. So, you know, I'm a coach, but I'm also a pastor. And I care about my kids. And so I walked across the the field. And the closer I got to her, the more I could see that she she was sobbing uncontrollably. Sitting there all by herself. Everybody else had left. And she's just weeping. And I walked up, you know, and, and, and I, I said, Terry, are you, you know, what can I do for you? I, you know, what's going on? And she looked at me and she told me the most tragic tale I've ever heard from any teenager. And I've heard lots of tragic tales from teenagers. I was a youth pastor for a long time in my early years of ministry. But she told me a story about where she'd been at a party a few months before this and that how she'd gotten drunk and how she'd had voluntary sex. She wasn't raped. She had voluntary sex with two different guys in that same night and how she'd gotten pregnant and then had an abortion after that. Except for the school counselor, I was the only person she'd ever told that to, and I'm I'm sure it was not just because I was a coach, but because she knew I was a pastor. And I began to weep with her. Sometimes all you can do when your heart is broken is just weep, and I, I just wept with her. I cried with her. 16-year-old sophomore girl, broken, devastated, hurt, and guilt-ridden because of what she had experienced outside of what God had intended, outside the context of marriage. I want to tell you this morning, God is not repressive. He's protective. He's not repressive. He's protective. I had another conversation with a woman and a lady I used to work with in banking years ago and fairly wild woman and very loose morals. And, and uh, we were having a conversation about, you know, 
uh, sex outside of marriage, and it comes up, and so I'm telling her, you know, well, this is what God says, and this is why, and, and she's just going at, just just in my face, you know, that's just that's wrong, and and it's just repressive, and the, and the church and Christians like you just put guilt on people, and blah 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 blah. Well, I knew she had a four-year-old daughter, and so you know, she kind of settled down at one point, and I just looked at her, I said, well, let me ask you this: How many sexual partners do you want your daughter to have before she's married? got real quiet because suddenly it became not just something that, you know, for her, but she started thinking as a mom, as a parent for her daughter. And I want you to understand God thinks about you as a parent. He looks at you as, you know, he's your father and he loves you and he cares for you. And it's not God saying, you don't get to have any fun. It's God saying, no, I, I want to protect you. I want to protect your heart. I want to protect your soul. I want to protect you so that you can experience all that I want for you. God's not repressive. He's protective. Second fib, number two in your outline. Only geeks, nerds, and dweebs are virgins. And I tell you what, man, again, I run into this all the time. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. But this is an attitude promoted by our culture and embraced by way too many people. I have not seen the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Don't raise your hand if you have because it's probably not one you want to be proud of. But um, I saw the previews and I got on and I read a review, a review online. And here's what one review said about this movie. This movie is a comedy about a nerdy guy who's never done the deed. And I tell you, it just struck me. That's so predominant, such a predominant attitude in our culture. That if you haven't done the deed, then you're just a dweeb. You're a nerd. There's something wrong with you. And like I said, I don't know how this movie ends. And maybe it has some moral story, I hope. I, I don't know. But the attitude of this guy's friends is that it's abnormal to be a virgin that only nerds have never done the the deed. And somewhere along the way, not only have we normalized illicit and casual sex in our culture, but we've lost the value of chastity. And we no longer honor those who wait for marriage. In the movies, on TV, everywhere you turn. It's the cool people who do it and the losers who don't. When's the last time you saw a James Bond movie and he refused to go to bed with a gorgeous woman? It's, you know what, I'm sorry, my name's Bond, James Bond, and I don't sleep around. I mean, that would, you know, that that movie wouldn't go over real big, would it? I mean, that's just not the way our culture is. A few years ago, I spoke at a high school camp. And afterwards, we broke down in small groups, and I had seven or eight guys. And uh, good guys from good homes, most of them, you know, in church and, and loved God. And we're having a talk about this. And it was interesting to me to note that they, not any of them, at least they didn't admit to me, they just the opposite. They didn't want to be sexually active. But they also didn't want to be known as a virgin on their high school campus. Why? Because of this attitude. They thought, well, if you're a virgin, that means you're, you know, somehow you're a loser. I'm thinking about coming out with a whole new line of T-shirts. I'm going to make millions. And on one, it's going to say, you know, across the front, I'm a virgin and proud of it, huh? (laughs) Sell lots of those, you think? Probably not. How about this one? God, country, honor, chastity. Big American flag in the back. God, country, honor, chastity. Or this one. And this one I'm sure will sell. I'm not too sexy for my clothes. <laughs> not too sexy. I probably won't be retiring anytime soon all the money I'm going to make up. But I think it's time. I think it's time to stand up. It's time to take a stand against the lies that we're being told. We need to tell our kids. We need to tell our friends. We need to tell the people that we love that it's okay to be different. It's okay. And, that right, and it's right not to copy the behavior and the customs of this world. 
Romans 12, look at it with me. Paul said this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He said, man, I really, really want this for you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Isn't that great? I mean, not just your heart, not just your mind, not just your soul, but to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. There's that sanctification thing again. The kind that He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? We're going to come back to this in just a moment when we take a look at the truth. But here's the heart of the issue. When you think about what God has done for you, is this too much to ask? Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Written 2,000 years ago, again, to a culture that was pretty immoral in many ways. The Romans and the Greeks were not known for being you know, chaste people. They, they were not pure. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing the way you believe. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the right way is the narrow way. But it's the way to life. Jesus himself said, listen, I, I know. The right way is this narrow path. It's this narrow road. But it, it, that's the path that leads to life. The wide way, the big way, leads to what? Death. Jesus said, I know it's tough, but my way leads to life. Well, here's the truth. Number three in your outline. The only lasting motive strong enough to keep us sexually pure is the radical love of God. When I first wrote this down, I thought about putting the radical love for God, kind of putting it on us to, to, to love God first, you know, and to get, to get that. But I realized something, and I want you to catch the, there's a, there's a distinct difference here today that I want to focus on. I, I think, I believe with all my heart, for us to live, and this applies to all of us, you know, in every area of our life, if we want to be pure, if you're married and you want to be pure and, and, and true to your spouse, if you're single and you want to be pure, this is where it lies. This is the secret. It's, it's understanding the radical love that God has for you, for me. I want to be honest again, and I hope this doesn't surprise any of you that I'm being honest, but persevering in chastity is extremely difficult because sex is extremely pleasurable. Why is it such a big deal? Why is this so hard to do? Because it's, it's something that is pleasing to us. You know, even though I hate the fact that I'm about 10, 15 pounds overweight, uh, I still eat my wife's chocolate chip cookies way too much because they are extremely pleasurable to my palate. And there are times when I have to say, please don't make them anymore because when they're there, I just can't not, I just got to go have another one and, and it's because it's pleasurable. I realize, again, just being honest and real here, why is this so hard to do? Because it's fun! Because it's pleasurable. Sex outside of marriage is wrong, but it feels so good. And it's so, it's so difficult to stay pure. But I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. Because here's the real problem. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I love it. He says, we've exchanged a perfect love, the love of God, for a lesser love. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, sex is bad, sex is going to make you feel ugly, it's gonna, it's, you know, you're not going to enjoy it, because all of that is bogus. It's not true. Yeah, there may be some guilt, there may be some associated feelings afterwards, but, you know, we have this pleasure drive that just keeps us going back to the things that we should not do. But here's the real problem. We exchange a perfect love, the love of our Father God for a lesser love. We exchange the perfect love of God for the love of an action, the perfect love of God for the love of a feeling, the perfect love of God for the love of an erotic moment. We've chosen these lesser loves over the love of 
our Father. You see, here's the bottom line this morning, and it's, it really is the bottom line. When you truly know the love of God, the love that He has for you, that love will motivate you to want to do the right thing for the right reasons. See, I'm convinced that the more we understand the love God has for us, the better we get this, the more our understanding is, is clear on this issue of how much He loves us, that the response of our hearts will be, Oh God, because of Your great love for me, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's honorable to You. When you truly know His love, you'll love Him in return. And you'll want to do what pleases and honors Him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I like this, that Jesus didn't say, Obey me! Do the right thing! He put it in the context of love. He said, If you love me, if you, if you really understand love, then you'll do what I, obey, what I ask you to do. You'll obey. When you love, you obey. When you obey, you demonstrate that love. And again, it's not a have to or an ought to at that point. It's a get to. I get to love God. I want to honor and obey Him because of all that He has done for me. Because of His great love. When you realize, and the better you realize, all that God has done for you. And the love that He has for you. And when you remember who you are because of that love, what He's done to to save you, to redeem you, to, to give you life, then it affects your heart and affects what you do. Love motivates. Knowing the love of God motivates me. When I remember how much He loves me, I want to love Him in return. It's a college kid that came to me quite a few years ago for some advice, and he was a Christian. But he told me he was tired of fighting the urge to merge. Those were his words. But um, he said he was just tired of it. And uh, he's one of those guys I had a discussion, you know, where does the Bible say I can't do this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And, and he didn't see any problem with having casual sex. He was on a university campus in a co-ed dorm uh, where random and casual sex was a fairly common experience for most of the students there. And as he's telling me this and kind of, you know, giving me an earful, I'm starting to prepare my answer, right? I'm thinking about this scripture verse. I'm going to pull out, you know, and, you know, and I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them this, or I'm going to give them these facts and statistics, you know. I mean, there's tons of them. You know that 25% of the high school students today will have an, an STD by the time they're 21? Not AIDS necessarily, but 25% of the high school students that are in school today, by the time they're 21, will have a one-time experience an STD. And I'm, so I'm thinking about all these statistics, you know, and I'm going to scare this kid to death, you know, and, or to life or whatever. I'm going I'm to get him, you know, straight. And, and I'm going through all this in my head. And in just this moment of, you know, of just as I'm just there listening to him, the Lord spoke to my heart. Just the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke into my heart. And he said this, he said, Kurt, just tell him I love him. Just tell him how much I love him. Well, after he finished rambling on, I uh, looked him in the eye. And I said, Matt, God loves you. And as a Christ follower, just do what honors that love. He was blown away. He expected all the argument, you know, all the scriptures, all the facts, all the stuff. And all I did was I just looked him in the eye and I said, Matthew, God loves you, buddy. He loves you. And as a Christ follower, you've made a decision to be a, a Christian, a Christ follower. As a Christ follower, just do what honors that love. I didn't make any argument about right and wrong, no defensive truth. I just reminded him 
of who he was and of the love of God. And you know what? The cool thing is, he got it. And that day, he made a decision, a choice to honor the love God has for him. When it's all said and done, the only lasting motive strong enough to keep us sexually pure is the radical love of God. It's what sustains me. It's what compels me. The love of God. God's love encourages me. It inspires me to want to please Him because He's a loving Father who wants what's best for me. When you know, when you remember, when you walk in the love of Christ, when you really live there, then you'll be overwhelmed by it. And it'll change everything. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the decisions that you make. God's love compels us to live a life of love that honors and pleases Him. That's why love is a central theme in the Word of God. Throughout the Bible, the the central message is not, you're blown it, you're an idiot. The central message is not, you know, man, how can I put up with you people? I don't understand. I mean, the central message throughout the Word of God is the love that He has for us. Because God knows that when we know His love, and the better we know His love, the better it's going to make an eternal difference in our lives. One last verse and I'm done. But I want to read you a passage from Titus 3. And it's one of my favorites. And Paul said this, Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled by others and became slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. You know one of the things I love about this is that Paul says, We... Isn't that cool? This guy's the Apostle Paul. You know, he's, he's the guy who wrote nearly half the New Testament. He wrote, great theologian, wrote the book of Romans, wrote the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, this guy is amazing. And yet he includes himself in this. He says, once we, me too, we were foolish and disobedient. We were misled by others and became slaves, bound up to these wicked desires and evil pleasures. But look at verse 4. But then God, our Savior, showed us His kindness and love. Paul got this. He understood this reality. He said, here we were, all messed up, doing all sorts of stupid things. But what saved us? What got a hold of us? God, our Savior, showed us His kindness and love. He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. Paul says it was the love of God that redeemed us, that saved us, that gave us new life. The love of God draws us to this place where we want to do the right things for the right reasons. I'm going to tell you this morning, I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times in way too many people's lives. There's a cost to premarital and recreational sex. You think it's just kind of doing the fun thing and there's no, you know... No, no repercussions. That's a lie. There's a cost. And the good news is there's a blessing that comes from living God's way. I know it's a narrow way. I know it's not the easy way, but there's a blessing that comes when we live God's way. And there is a love that can help you. The radical and amazing love of God. I'm going to have the band come up and I uh, want to read to you one more passage. Actually, I hadn't planned on this, but... Uh, I know that when we get this, when we understand this, 
that it does get a hold of our hearts and it changes. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, he said, In him we have redemption through his blood. You know that song we sang this morning, Nothing But the Blood. For some, if you're not a Christian yet, if you've been investigating Christianity, you might go, man, what is this blood thing? Well, it's by the shed blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for us, that we have forgiveness and redemption. He said, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches, listen, the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, that he just poured on us with all wisdom and understanding. We're going to talk more about this next week. What do you do when you failed? What if you've already blown it? What if you're not a virgin anymore? I mean, what, what if? How do you deal with the past? And all of us have one. Every one of us have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what do we do? We'll talk more about that next week and some specific practical things that you can do. But here's the hope I want to leave you with today. In Him, we have redemption, forgiveness, grace. And He lavishes. He just pours it out on us. And so I want you this morning... No matter what your past has been, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, I want you to focus on the goodness and the grace and mercy of God today. But I want you to understand that the prayer of your heart needs to be, Oh God, you know, make me a better person. I mean, that's a good prayer, but you know what I pray more often than that? Oh God, make me more aware of your love. Make me more aware of the love that you have for me because I know the more I see that, the more I get it. The love the Father has for me, the more I will want to do the right thing for the right reasons. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you this morning, come and work in our hearts. And I know there's a lot of single people here, some of them young, some of them not so young, Lord. And and every one of us, we have this in common. We all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with the culture around us that seems to just encourage so much that it's so far from what you want. And it's so easy, God, it's so easy to just satisfy the desires of our flesh and to forget your love, to forget how much you've cared for us, to forget that you've established boundaries for us to live in, not because you're repressive, not because you hate us, but because you love us, God, because you want to protect us and protect our hearts and souls. And because you made us to live someday in a relationship with a a man or a woman as our spouse and to enjoy all the blessings, Lord. All the joy of that unity, that bond in a way that would be unique and special and wonderful. And Lord, it's my prayer today that you would remind us of your love, reveal your love to us. It's my prayer today, God, that you would help us to come to you. If we failed, Lord then let us just run to that throne of grace and mercy where we receive your goodness and your grace. Help us to come to the Father this morning who loves us, who loves us more than his own life, and to love you in return. I pray that in Jesus' name.